is truth no matter how we may feel about it or think about it. True or false? True. Ooh. Two plus two is four. True. True. What if you want it to be five? Well, technically, round, yeah, if you round, so 2.4 is actually 2. So 2.4 plus 2.4 is 4.8. If you round up, that's 5. Anyway. But you got to take things and manipulate it. Maybe I'll just continue on. Continually hurting someone verbally will ruin that relationship. No matter how often we say, just joking, JK. Oh well. <laughs> Killing an innocent person is wrong, no matter what we may think or feel about it. And if you're like, eh, eh, I'm not sure if that's a big of a deal, let's just make let's just say it's one of your family members. Now it's wrong, right? As soon as it becomes personal, we know that it's wrong. So truth is truth, no matter what we may think or feel about it. Truth isn't always easy to hear, but it needs to be heard. It needs to be lived out if we're going to experience peace and stability, not only in our own lives, but in our society. This idea that you have your truth and I have my truth can't exist together. Something will always happen where that is not, you can't live that way, i.e., Masks. Right? Some people say, well, my truth is that everybody should wear masks. Well, I'm sorry, there's some who have the truth that says not everybody needs to wear masks. Who's right? And so when we come to those situations, the person who's right, or the person who has the truth, is the person who can force others to do what they want to do. It happens in relationships, it happens at jobs, it happens in countries. But when that happens, there's no longer peace or stability. So truth matters. So today's truth that we can't say anymore is that there is absolute truth. I'm stating an absolute truth by stating there's an absolute truth. A person who says there is no absolute truth has just stated an absolute truth. So that's just, which is kind of funny. But anyways, there is no absolute truth or there is absolute truth, and it's only found in the Bible. So God created this world. God is the one who put the design in place. This is how we're supposed to live life. If you want peace and stability in your life, we live in a sinful world, so we're not going to have a perfect world without stress. But if you want to have peace within that stress, if you want to have stability within that stress, God's laid it out for us, in the Bible for how that's supposed to be, that life is supposed to be lived. This was first questioned right at creation. Adam and Eve, everything you ever want to know about this world, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, okay? They questioned it. Why did they question it? Well, one, because they had free will. But two, because somebody brought information in that questioned whether God was good. That questioned whether, and this was happened to be Satan, questioned whether what God said was true or not. And so Adam and Eve considered that lie, another truth, and then they began to think on it, 
by themselves, and then they reacted to it by disobeying God. And at that point, they experienced another truth from God, and that is disobedience is sin, and it brings spiritual death, separation from God, and if not dealt with, separation from God for eternity is judgment for our sin. And as Adam was our representative, according to Romans chapter 4, 3 and 4, Adam was our representative. And so when he sinned, that sin penetrated into all of our lives. It's part of our spiritual DNA. And so we are born estranged from God. We're facing an eternity without him. If something isn't done with our sin, if, if something isn't, sin isn't somehow removed. But if we're here this morning and, and we're Christians, we've placed our faith in Christ. We know the truth that Jesus Christ, God the Son, who became man, died on the cross for us. Died in our place, took our eternal judgment on himself. We've had our sins forgiven. We have God, God's Holy Spirit in our lives. He's adopted us into God's family. We're now his child. We're now his servant. That's what the Bible says. And, and our purpose now has changed. The purpose is no longer how can I accomplish my dreams and what I want? How can God help me accomplish what I want to get out of life? It's changed, and here's our purpose. I've summarized it before, and, and I believe it's a good summary of Jesus Christ's life, and for Christians, we're following Christ, is that we live to glorify God, in other words, to reveal God, show others who God is, through an obedient life, doing life God's way, as we say, in order to draw people to Christ for salvation. And if you don't, if you don't hear anything else, I love when pastors say this, so I want to do it. If you, if you don't hear anything else, the rest of the message, please hear that. Because if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I'm not, not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing. It's very simple what you're supposed to be doing, really. You're supposed to be glorifying God. If you're a follower of Christ, you're supposed to be glorifying God through an obedient life that will draw people to him for salvation. In other words, you get to have that conversation with them. You get to introduce people to Christ so they can know that forgiveness. They can know that restored relationship with God. When we're talking about these issues, in the last couple of weeks we dealt with some pretty... Um, difficult issues. And I want to just thank those of you who have texted me, emailed me, called me, stopped me, and thanked me, and encouraged me, and appreciated what was said. I, I appreciate that. But they were their last two issues, and then next week is going to be another one. Um, you know, they're tough. They're tough things to talk about. But whether it's those things or any other issue of life, our goal as Christians is not to make more moral sinners, right? We're not looking to change culture, just making people, you know, encouraging people to change their behavior. Our purpose for existing is to bring people to Christ, to introduce them to who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives so that they can put their faith in Christ, they can have a relationship with God restored, and then as they study the Bible and read the Bible and come to church and be a part of a church family, they'll understand who he is. And then he'll make the changes in them. 
He'll renew their minds. He'll transform their lives in His time as He wants to do it. So, if you want to share God's truth, whether it's the gospel or lifestyle things, whatever it is, how do you most effectively share God's truth? Again, this has been our focus. So we dealt with some tough issues the last couple of weeks, but they weren't just to go give a bunch of information to you so you can go out and you know, beat people over the head with it. We were looking at it from the perspective, okay, that's the truth. That's what God's Word says, but now how do we respond? How do we help people understand that? And that's what we're going to do again today. So turn to your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's page 1181, if you're using the Bible there in the seats. And as you do, let me just give you some background on this. Uh, Paul's writing to a bunch of Christians in the town of Thessalonica. And he'd only spent a month in this town. Now, normally Paul would spend, you know, several months, even several years in a town before they ran him out um, and beat him within an inch of his life, literally. And so what he's doing is he's gone to this town, he's shared the gospel, he's shared with them what a Christian's life is supposed to look like. Then he gets run out of town like he did in every other town. But now he's writing back to these people, not only complimenting them for what God has done in and through them, for them to be faithful to that, but he's defending himself about, from those who came in after him. And we're trying to say, hey, you know, listen, Paul is just like all those other teachers that come through town. He, he's just doing this for himself. He's trying to build his own reputation. He's got his, he wants his own little following. He's trying to make money off of you guys. And Paul's like, hey, no, 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 listen, remember Remember what it was like when I was there. Remember what me and my team were doing in order to bring God's truth, to bring the gospel. And so in his defense, we're going to find out how we can be effective in sharing God's truth with people. And so let me read through these verses, first 12 verses, and then we'll uh, break it down, as we say. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation, or this gospel message that he was bringing, does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory or praise from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives." because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working day and night, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you, as a father would his own children, so you would walk in a manner worthy of, of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So I want to look at some things eventually from these verses, but I want to mention one thing first. There's one thing that we need to do first and foremost 
if we're going to share God's truth, whether it's the gospel or any of these other lifestyle issues or anything else going on in our, in our world. And that is we need to pray. Now, Paul doesn't mention it here, but in 10 of his 13 letters, Paul writes about prayer in this sense. Either praying, it's telling people what he prays for, praying that the Christians would grow spiritually so they will then share the gospel and continue to share the gospel with others. Or he asks them to pray for him to be able to share the gospel. He and his team, Team Paul, is what we're going to be calling him today because it's not just Paul, it's his entire team. And then in some cases, he's like teaching on prayer. But Paul understood, and his team understood, prayer is important. Prayer is crucial. It's kind of a foundation. Because as we know from John 16, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit who would come. And the Holy Spirit comes to convict and to teach, help us know what righteousness is all about. He's supposed to guide us into all truth. It's God who changes hearts. We're never commanded to change somebody, to manipulate somebody, to coerce somebody. We're just supposed to bring God's truth. And the Holy Spirit, He does the work. And so we need to be praying for people and asking God, change your heart, help them to see and understand what we're saying. And so we need to be praying before we have contact with people, talking with people. We need to be praying during the conversation and interaction we might have, and we need to be praying for them afterward. Prayer is crucial. Now, back to the passage. So Team Paul was effective. These guys went into a town, and they became very effective. The first reason why is found in verses 1 and 2, and that is because they were courageous. courageous. And so if we want to be effective, we need to be courageous. We need to understand that opposition will happen. They faced opposition to the gospel every town they went into. They were the ones who were being, uh, riots would happen. They were being beaten. They were being lied about. There was accusations thrown at them. I mean, the reason why Paul's writing this letter is to defend himself against accusations that he was selfish, that it was all about him, that it wasn't really about the message that he was talking about. He was arrested. He was beaten within a, an inch of his life in a couple of cases. They had to literally carry him out so they wouldn't be killed. Nothing stopped them. Why? Why could Paul and his team go into town after town after town and experience this? He says because they had the boldness in our God. Boldness, it means confident in spirit. God gave them confidence. God gave them courage. It wasn't Paul going in, you know, all worked up and ready to go. It was God who was motivating him. God that was empowering him. And there's all, there will always be opposition. We will always experience opposition, whether it's to the gospel or as we're challenging even Christians, hey, do life God's way. We're going to feel some pushback. It always happens. I've experienced it numerous times, and I'm sure you who have been in those conversations have experienced that. It happens. I hear people that say this all the time, and I've actually said it myself. Man, I wish I could be more like Paul. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to be Paul? I mean, to be that tough, to be able to go out and share his faith. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what people did to him. Man, I want to be like Paul. 
We can't be like Paul. We can be just like him. He was just Paul. I mean, found out from Scripture that he's not the most attractive-looking guy in the world, evidently, and he didn't speak really well. So I'm feeling really good. You know, that, those two things, oh, yes, it's awesome. I'm just like Paul. No, we could be that. Why? By praying, by praying for those in our lives, the people we're going to interact with, the people we hope to interact with, the people we're asking God to help us interact with these people, and then experience the boldness in our God, the courage that God gives. Listen, if we're not willing to take a step of faith to have the conversation, we're not going to experience the courage of God. Why? Because we don't need the courage of God. We're not willing to take the conver- to have the conversation. We're not willing to take that step. But when we do take the step, and what Paul found out is that every time he took the step, he had the courage of his God, and he spoke the truth, and he had the courage to handle whatever the impact was, including being beaten. The greater the opposition, the greater we'll experience God's courage. Again, we can't. We we have all these promises of, from God in the Bible. But we'll never experience them if we're not willing to take the step that would cause us to have to experience them. It, it's kind of a logical argument that I constantly forget. You know, so I'm, I'm having to constantly remind myself of this. this you know, we're humans. We start going off on our own. Oh, yeah, I got this. I, I can handle this. And just as Christians have been persecuted throughout the centuries and are being persecuted today, we've talked about that in the last several weeks, we can be confident that God's going to give them courage. Thank the Lord. Because there's people right now today being killed for their faith in Afghanistan, in Nigeria, in China. They're being arrested. They're being thrown in prison. They're being beaten. They're being tortured. And we can be confident that God's giving them the courage. We can be confident that God's going to use that to draw other people to Christ. We still need to be praying for them. We need to be thanking God that we don't have that yet here. But then we need to be doing something with it. That freedom that we have. There's a reason why our country is in the mess that it is. And it has a lot to do with the fact that Christians aren't willing to share their faith. Not willing to get out there and say, hey. Here's the crazy thing on this point. Paul didn't know these people. Paul didn't know people from Thessalonica. He just knew God said, that's the next town. So he went in there and did all that for people he didn't even know. See, Paul experienced the love of God, which motivated him, and then he experienced the courage of God, which then allowed him to share the truth of God. God's asking us to do it with people we know, people we love, people that we say we're concerned about, our family, our friends, our neighbors, coworkers. Second thing he talks about there is not just to be courageous, but it's to be committed to God, committed to God's truth and committed to God's glory. Committed to God's truth, he says, our exhortation. Paul's message was God's truth. It wasn't some story he made up. It wasn't designed to deceive people. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't him trying to make a name for himself to get followers to come alongside of him. It wasn't a watered-down message where Paul's like, yeah, you know, I know we're all not kind of really doing life, kind of, you know, and so, hey, ask Jesus to save you. 
You have to have the bad news to know the good news. And Paul talked about sin. And so we need to be talking about sin. It's not a fun word. I don't like having conversations with people about that. But it's, it's God's truth. We have to know the bad news to know what the good news is. And so they were approved by God and entrusted with the message of God. What that's saying is God knew because of what team Paul had gone through, he knew that they were going to do this. And so he gave them the message to give and he entrusted it to them. That word entrust is a great word because it means that you take what you've received, you protect it, don't change it, protect it, and then you hand it off in the condition that you've given it or received it. And so Paul received from Christ the gospel and he said, here, I'm entrusting it to you, now go tell people. And so Paul took the gospel, including sin, the bad news, but also God's love and forgiveness and then our purpose for living. He takes that and now he's handing it off to everybody else because he was committed to God's glory. He knew that in the end, God would examine his heart. God knows what their motive was. God knows what our motive is. Are we pleasing men? Are we pleasing, trying to please others? Or are we going to please God, the one who secured our relationship? I get this. It is hard. Because people say, oh man, it's hard. Because we want people to like us. We want people to, to want us around, to invite us to their parties. We don't like hurting people. We don't like making people feel bad. I, I get that. But God calls us, Christ calls us to fully follow him, be fully committed to following him, no matter what anybody might say. I, I've had family members saying to me, questioning if I'm truly following God in my life. And I know some of you guys have had that, people close to you. But here's what Jesus said in Luke 14. So Luke says, now large crowds were going along after him. So now people loved hanging out with Jesus, right? I mean, he was healing people. He was feeding people. I mean, talk about free lunch. They got a free lunch. So for so they just filled up on it. I mean, it was bread and fish, but whatever. You know, that's what they ate. So they were excited. They wanted, they loved to see what Jesus was doing. And so as these large crowds were coming, large, Jesus said, I need to thin this crowd out. Because they're not getting what this is all about. So here's how he, he won friends and influenced people. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What in the world is Jesus saying there? I thought we're supposed to love everybody. Now he's saying hate everybody. It's a Jewish figure of speech. And what it means is this, that that we love Christ so much that everybody else thinks, I don't think they like me even. Because we're so passionate about who Jesus is and what Jesus wants us to do that when people tell us and encourage us and advise us and tell us to do something other than what Jesus wants us to do, we say, hey, thanks for the advice, but I'm doing it Jesus' way. And that usually causes people over on this side who are giving us the advice going, don't you like me anymore? You know, it's that kind of thing. Or they feel judged. We're not judging anybody. I'm just trying to do life God's way. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry if you feel judged, but I'm, not, I'm just trying to do life God's way. And so it's hard. But we've got to be committed to God's glory. 
We've got to be willing to step up and do life God's way to show people who God is. Paul didn't care about his reputation. Paul didn't care about trying to get some sort of ministry around him. It wasn't the, the Apostle Paul ministries. You know, we see all these different ministries with the guy's name on it, the lady's name on it. Paul's like, not me. It's all about God. It's all about showing who God is. See, in the first century, uh, their entertainment was people who would travel from town to town, and there would be some philosophers, some orators, where you know, we hear about these philosophers from the first century. And so they would go from town to town, and they would give out their new teaching. And people would come and hear what this new teaching was all about. And if they liked it, they would talk about it, and they would pay the person to come back. And they would talk about it, and other towns would say, hey, so-and-so taught in that town. We really liked what he... So he's going to go over here. Pretty soon he got a following. And, and then people were paying to hear him. And so... People were saying, that's what Paul's doing. Paul's like, no, I'm not doing that. It's about God's glory. Paul said, I could have done that. I'm an apostle. But I didn't do that. Next, we see from Paul that we need to be gentle with people. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? I said that, what, right? That's right. I always get that mixed up in my head. But that statement, that saying is true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We got people today in our lives who are hurting. And sometimes the most angry person in our life is the one who's hurting the most. The one that we don't want to be around because they're angry all the time, they're frustrated all the time, they bark and they call us names. Sometimes those are the ones who are the hurting the most. And as Christians, I think sometimes we, we tend to be a little impatient with them. And we tend to be impatient even with like new believers. You know, they don't, they don't respond fast enough. They don't change fast enough. They're, we get irritated and frustrated with them. We need to be gentle. We need to be willing to meet a person where they're at. As we've been saying a lot around here lately, we need to sit with them. We need to hear their story and understand where they're coming from. Listen, we've all got baggage. We've all got stuff in our lives that we'd rather forget or that's somehow playing into our lives so we can't respond the way we know we need to respond. We've all got it. So rather than picking and, and pulling people apart on it, let's just recognize that we all got it. And, and let's sit with people and understand what they're going through. And then let's show them the love of God so that we can then share with them the love of God. So not only do we need to sit and listen to their story and understand their story, next one is we need to be genuine. Paul says they not only shared the gospel, but they shared their very lives. They were genuine. Maybe this is another point that if you don't get anything else out of there, get this one. <laughs> and I'm going to read it. Nothing you've done in your life is a waste. Nothing you've done in your life can't be used by God if you give it over to Him and let Him use it. Think about that. What is it that just weighs on you that you just keep thinking about? Oh, I can't believe that. 
Nothing that has happened in your life that you've done, that other people have done to you, that have done to themselves, whatever, nothing that has happened in our life is a waste if we give it to God. And we need to share that with people. They need to know that. Just as we're hearing from them, then when we share with them our story, what's happening? They're connecting with us. They, they're finding hope in that. They're finding an answer to whatever it is that they're going through. They're going to experience through us what God offers them, and then they're going to turn to God and receive it for themselves. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. Go to the next slide. And I, I, I did it out of the New Living Translation because the New American Standard is just it's one of those Paul, uh, Paul verses where it's kind of like, okay, what are you saying? New Living Translation makes it a little easier. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful, merciful Father and the source of all comfort. So I'm going to stop there. If you're needing comfort... Okay, listen, if you need comfort, God is the source of your comfort. God is the source of your comfort. God is. So what's that mean? That if we're not willing to sit with God in his word and in prayer, if we're not willing to get together with other Christians and share what's going on in our lives, and have them pour into us and encourage us and pray with us and sit there going, I'm not really sure what to say, so let's pray. You know, that kind of thing. If they're not, they're not willing to sit with other people and just cry with each other and encourage each other, because God is the source of all comfort. God is. We go looking for all kinds of stuff for comfort, don't we? That's why we get ourselves messed up. God is the source of all comfort. He comforts us. See how I did that? So last week we used the S word a lot. I'm just using God's name a lot in a good way. God, 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 God. Wash out all that sex, 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 sex that we talked about. He comforts, last week if you weren't here, I, we did a thing on sexual life and I used the word sex a lot and people were walking out all red and embarrassed and stuff. Anyways, he comforts us in all of our troubles. Why? So that God's not going to just comfort you for you to have a sense of comfort He's going to do it so we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God gave us. You talk about having purpose in life. You wonder what your purpose in life is. Boom. Give your life to Christ and everything in your past, God's going to use for the future and you connecting with people in order for them to know who God is and experience salvation, a transformed eternity. And the last one is, is to be inspiring. Team Paul was, they inspired through their sacrifice, they inspired through their personal lives, and they inspired through their teaching. When it comes to their sacrifice, he talks about their labor and hardship. Labor refers to the physical uh, drain that life is, that work is. Now people say, like, yeah, well, Paul, all he did is ministry. No, Paul didn't do, just do ministry. He had a job. He made tents. And that's not too easy to do because it was hand sewn. You know, it didn't have a little singer, you know, pumping the thing. He had to do that by hand. He was tired at the end of the day. His hands hurt at the end of the day. What did he do? He went on and did ministry. He shared 
Christ through tent making. He was tired, physically tired. We get that way too, right? I don't want to go deal with so-and-so. I am just wiped this week. Hardship speaks to the emotional difficulty, the, the hurt feelings, the walking with somebody and then they go off and don't do life God's way, the disappointment that comes from that. It's the emotional drain of walking with people through difficult times and maybe being a little impatient with them and trying to be patient and trying to encourage and trying to having to repeat something numerous times over and over and over again. It's just emotionally, he just gets tired. Tired of telling them to do the same thing over and over and over again. Then you start thinking about yourself. Oh yeah, God does that to me all the time. It might be physically tiring. It might be emotionally draining. But I'm telling you guys, it's the best way to do life. Because then when people get it, there's nothing like sitting with somebody, working through something with somebody, them getting it, and then them start doing life that way. There's nothing like it. And if you're sitting here this morning going, Psh, yeah, right, try it. Don't go, Psh, until you try it. It's awesome. There's no, we were talking about this yesterday, talking about the joy of the Lord, and my Hagen and Kim were trying to encourage me, which they did, and, you know, we were talking about joy, and really the only time I have joy is this, right here, Sunday mornings, Thursday nights, talking with you guys during the week. This is, this is joy, and if you guys ever want to experience it, you know, do this. Talk to people about the Lord. Secondly, their personal lives were inspiring. In the face of persecution, they remained devout. In other words, godly. They were upright, which means to live life God's way. And they were blameless. No one who really knew them could ever say that they were doing life some other way than God's way. <laughs> they were known to be people who did life God's way, who had the truth, who could face life's struggles. And they were known for that. And the last one is their teaching was inspiring. He talks about exhorting, encouraging, and imploring Exhorting, that's to call people near and to encourage them by coming alongside of them. And so their teaching was a sense of calling people in. Hey, let's huddle up. Coach with his team, let's huddle up. We can do this. We need to do this. Come on, we can do it. Come on, let's go. It's like a dad would do to his kids on the you know, athletic field. Like I used to do to my kids on the athletic field. Like, she brings Sarah in here? No. Just, I loved Sarah when she used to play soccer. Just, oh, to this day, I, I close my eyes and I watch her playing soccer. It just brings joy to my life. That brings joy to my life, Hagen. So, anyways, I won't go any further because she's, she'll be embarrassed. Now, they translated the next word, encourage, but really it should be maybe console or comfort. And so sometimes the teaching needs to be, we need to pull people together and just kind of comfort them. It's kind of like what I was doing this morning. That if you think you've got, your life is of no use or the things you've experienced have no use, I'm trying to give you God's word to comfort you that it does have use. God is going to use it. If you let him comfort you, then you can comfort others. And the last one's implore. It means to be called as a witness. It's the, it's the coach challenging his team. It's, it's, so, it's Paul saying to these people, hey, hey, you Christians, what's up? You say you're a Christian. 
Let's do this. It was me last week. Which again, I appreciate those who <laughs> have been encouraging me the last couple of weeks. They're not easy. There are times when we're going to have to, you know, I, I put it this way, in my situation, I'm, I'm, a, I'm human, but I'm also a pastor. Human, pastors are humans, by the way. And so we're not just like a machine. And so there's times where I have to have a conversation with somebody and it's not going to be a fun conversation. I don't look forward to it. I'm, I'm upset all week long, praying about it, asking God to get me through this funk because I know I'm going to have this conversation with somebody because I know I've got to deal with something. And I don't like hurting them. I don't like seeing them crying in my office. I don't like seeing them angry at me. I don't like it. And I know you guys don't like it when you've had to have those conversations. It's not fun. But I'm also a pastor who I'm going to stand before God one of these days for how I've been a pastor to you guys. Paul knew that God was examining. You guys are going to have your hearts examined too. And so we stand on God's word knowing that God is going to do what he's going to do if we stand what he says to do and live it. Which, by the way, if somebody, if you do that with somebody and they come back and say, well, yeah, you do this, Man, if you're doing it, confess that and say, I'm sorry. Let's keep each other accountable. You keep me accountable because I know I'm human. We're not, nobody, I don't think anybody, I don't think you guys hear me ever saying that any of us have it together, right? We get that, right? We're messed up. That's why we've become Christians, so God will help us. Nobody's perfect in this church. No one's doing it right 24-7. Anyways. So sometimes we have to implore people. We have to challenge people. Say, hey, you're a Christian. Let's do this. Let's do it God's way. Because we have to walk in a manner worthy of God. The God who called us. Worthy means glory. That we can wear the name. Not for us, but to point people to who God is. Because God's the one who called us into a relationship with him. Again, it's not about our dreams. It's not about God meeting our needs so we can go and do whatever it is that we want to do. No, we're, we're changed. We're a child of God. We're a servant of Christ. We live for him, his purposes. He promises to meet our needs if we are focused on doing life his way for his purposes. And in that, we have comfort. In that, we find that joy. It's interesting, if you read through, and I would encourage you to read First Thessalonians. Paul spent a month with these people. There was a bunch of them who got it. And they were known in the region for being people who represented Christ, who shared their faith. People knew who these people were, just like people knew who Paul was, because they took the gospel, they ingested it, they lived it out. And people came to Christ. But as the, the band comes up to close us out, I just want to throw some takeaways up on the screen for us to kind of consider and think about during the song and as we, we head on out. First of all, are you committed to living out God's truth in your life? I mean, we, all, we need to constantly be evaluating this. We've got to be in God's word and asking God, you know, as David said, examine my heart. Where am I at? How am I doing? Am, am I following you well? Are there places where I need to kind of adjust? We need to all be doing that. 
Secondly, are you praying for those in your life who need Jesus? Or need to start doing life his way? Maybe you should add on to that. Are you praying for him? Are you asking God? Because he's the only one who can change their hearts. Asking God, change their hearts. Put things into their lives that will cause them to see whatever they're trying to do, to, that it doesn't work. That it's, it's empty. And then third, are you willing to make the sacrifice to share God's truth with them? Are you, are you willing to put your reputation on the line? Are you willing to let people see God working through you and to be known as a person that way, even if they reject you? Are you willing to do that? Let's go ahead and stand. Let me close in prayer, and then the band will close us out. 